0: Ba, 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 mic check. One, two, one, two. Mic check. One, two, one, two. Hey, welcome. Episode 11. Two most difficult. Paul and Laura here coming at you.
1: Is it really 11?
0: Episode 11. We made it. We did. That's great. Uh, We are uh, back from Reno, as you may have heard in our last episode just in time for us to get right back in the car and drive to memphis to memphis 20, to 20 hours we are driving down to memphis down the east coast and then hanging a right at somewhere charleston knoxville i don't know somewhere around there i don't know this you know i liked it better on the west coast where you had three states and that was it don't worry dear listener <laughs> i'm driving yeah yes <laughs> Uh, and uh, I will be holding the baby in my lap the entire way. This nope. is an excellent plan. Don't, please, child services, do not listen to what I just said. I will not be holding the baby in my lap. I will be holding the entire car seat in my lap. Backwards. Backwards. Obviously. I will be sitting backwards so the baby <laughs> can see where we're going. Uh, but uh, for this, we thought that we would just do a quick little episode about... Games where you build a city from the ground up. From the ground up. Arbitrarily chosen theme. We just realized that we had a few games like that. We thought we'd throw them together in this little grab bag episode and uh, and deliver it to you, dear listener, uh, as a as a way to tide you over while we get another round of traveling under our belts. We've got Tabanusi, Builders of Ur. We've got Babylonia. And we've got the founders of... Gloomhaven. I think that's how you say it. Gloomhaven. You ever, have you heard of this? You heard of this property? You're, you're definitely saying it right. Yeah. Gloomhaven. I don't know what this Gosh, is. Gosh,
1: that reminds me of the thing that we did like every other night for all of COVID.
0: <laughs> it's, it was it was a lot. We did we did power through all of that game, uh, and we're looking forward to Frosthaven yes, uh, when please. it comes out. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. Let's, let's do it. Let's, let's get it started. Ordinarily, the start of one of our reviews, we do a little bit, a little back and forth. We do some jokes.
1: Are, are we not going to do one this time, Paul? You know,
0: I don't think so. I, I really, I sat here for like, five minutes thinking, okay, there's, what what jokes could we do about the setting for this game? Like the cities are old. Okay. You know, they're building monuments and stuff. The game is called Tabanusi. But like, I can't find out what that word means. Anytime I look up that, that word, I just see that it is in relation to this board game. (laughs) And the best I could settle on was that it was called Tabanusi builders of Ur. And I was like, Oh, what if there's like a sketch where, Someone's trying to figure out the name of his city and he's really indecisive or something like that. But I thought that's just like a like a cheap shot language joke. And we only deliver the finest, the finest language jokes here, (laughs) Mm -hmm. as we've seen in previous episodes. So I think we're just going to skip the bit and we're just going to go right into talking about Tabanusi, Builders of Ur, Ur. designed by Danielle Taschini. And David Spada, published by Board and Dice, and uh, it is sitting here on the table in front of us today. We've played it a bunch of times, a few times at two players, one time today with four players, and one time I have no idea what we were actually playing. That was the very first time we played. We'll get to that in a bit. The, the mistakes that we made. Yeah.
1: And the reason we initially thought this game was terrible, <laughs> and then we realized it was our
0: fault. <laughs> Let's not spoil the plot. <laughs> Tabanusi, Builders of Ur. It is a, what would you call this? It's, a, it's definitely some kind of building game. It's not an engine builder. You're not building really an engine. It's almost an investment game, I think, is, is a good way to think of
1: Sure. About. Investment plus also worker placement.
0: Yep. And uh, I don't know, a little bit of area control. I don't know. Maybe. Ish. Ish. A little bit of that, I guess. Yeah. What a unique what a unique little game this is. Rather than just dwell on what we think it might be, why don't we tell our dear listener what it is? Sure. And and a little bit of and an how overview. it plays.
1: And a little bit of and What how we it think. Plays. Yeah. What a concept.
0: What do we got here? We got this big board. This is a sizable board here.
1: It is. I actually like two and a half
0: of my hand i'm
1: afraid to unfold this board because i'm afraid i'll make a mistake uh it's a big one. yeah and i think first impression you have three building zones yeah
0: these are common districts Mm -hmm. that's what they call them
1: and then you have this seaport area and then you have a ziggurat area yeah so you got these five zones on the board
0: is there a six zone
1: I'm drawing a blank on a joke right now. <laughs> yeah,
0: there's, a, there's a few jokes we could make about certain zones, but this is a family show. <laughs> so we'll just drive right on by.
1: Each of these three building zones is where you'll be doing the building of Ur, Ur. I would say. That's yeah. where the building of Ur happens yeah. in these three districts. Each of the districts has a number of squares. They are divided from each other by some water squares. Everything's a grid over there. Yeah. Uh, there's also bonuses on many of the many of the grids in each of the areas too, which we'll get to in a minute. Then over in the port area, you have a three by three grid that is at the beginning of every game filled up with a series of
0: randomly played down ship uh, tiles.
1: Yeah, but they're like, ban- they're like the... They're like, like the sails. Mass, sails. Yeah, they're sails. Thank yeah. you.
0: Again... With- We're nautical folk over here. We know boats. We
1: know so much about water, cars.
0: <laughs> Lived on a coastal city for over half my life. I know boats.
1: <laughs> so, they're, right, there are these... Um, what was that word you used again?
0: Ships. Sails. No, sails. No, no, That's yeah. the one. Sails.
1: <laughs> Sail! <laughs> And those sales have special abilities on them as well. Yeah. And then you have the ziggurat area. The ziggurat area is got a couple things going on. There are these randomized communal scoring goals yeah. that you can contribute to. And then there are also these three tracks where your little pieces will start at the very bottom and need to inch their way up over the course of the game so that your buildings are worth anything, essentially.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And that's where the investment part of the game comes in. Yeah. That's where a lot of how you're going to score your points comes into play, is focusing on those three tracks to make the three flavors of building. We've got chocolate, we've got vanilla, and we've got... Butter. Butter, the butter buildings. You've got, you've got those three flavors of buildings and, and those buildings are worth no points at the start of the game. The only way your buildings are going to be worth points is if you put in the work to make those buildings worth more points. There's a lot going on here, so we're not going to really give a super deep overview, but we're going to guide you through how it feels to play the game. Now, each of these five zones here has a barge and the barge for each zone is a different color. You've got the brown barge, the yellow barge, the, butter. The butter barge. All aboard. <laughs> butter barge. You've got the, the vanilla barge. Uh, and then you've got your your blue barge and your green barge. Quick, give me some flavors. What's a blue flavor without a berry? No berries. Oh, gosh. Right? Ice? Slurpee? Your slurpee flavor barge. All slurpees are blue. And then you got your green barge, which is like spinach. It's like your spinach barge. Now, these barges hold the dice that you'll be rolling. Big fistfuls of dice. At the start of the game, dice are gonna be rolled and then put on their corresponding color barge. So you've got your brown dice go on the brown barge, the butter dice go on the butter barge, et cetera, et cetera. And the thing about these dice is that those dice are gonna dictate where you, the player, actually get to take your turns. So at the start of the game, it's my turn. The very first place I wanna go is I wanna go to the butter barge. And the butter barge has a one, a two, a three, a five, and a six. Well, what that means is I have to pick up one of those dice. And the number on that die dictates where my next turn is going to be. So if I pick up the one, then my next turn is going to be over here at the chocolate barge. And then whatever die I pick up there, my, my turn after that is going to be at wherever I, I pick from there. And earlier, I made a fun little joke about is there a six? The six lets you go anywhere that is not represented by the dice there. So it's almost like a wild card, but not quite. It's more like... Oh, do you want to go to the, to the four, uh, but there's no four die on the butter barge? Well, then take the six, and you can go there. Uh, so that's, that's the importance of the dice. Once you take the dice, it becomes a resource of that color. It becomes one chocolate resource or one vanilla resource. We really should stop talking about food. People are going to think this is actually about working in a malt shop. It's not. We're building a city, and that's serious business. So once you take the die off the board, the number no longer matters you then get a chance to do some actions in each of these spaces and we're not going to go over in depth all of them but actions include laying down a project tile for one of the three building colors you take one of your tiles you put it in the spot in the zone where you're taking your turn you get some bonuses uh, for putting that project tile down and what you've done is you've laid a claim to a spot to say at some point a building of this color will get built here
1: might not be built by you though
0: no uh and because someone could come along on a future turn and put down a project tile of that same color right next to the one you put down and you're marking all of this stuff with these little discs of yours called claim markers so that way let's say i put down a a yellow project marker here a, sorry we call it butter a butter project marker here in this zone in one of these zones and then laura comes along on a future turn and puts a butter one right next to it now both she and i are kind of getting in on this building and at some point, one of us can just decide to go ahead and pull that big comically oversized lever. Ka-chunk, and build the butter building. And build the butter building. Uh, <laughs> no. Yes. And build that building. If I choose to build it, then it's my building. And I get to put one of my cool little plastic house markers on it to say, this is my building. And then Laura gets to benefit. We'll cover that in a little bit. If she were to build it, then the the inverse would be true. I would get a little bit of a bonus, but the building would actually be hers. The drawback to having other people attach onto your buildings, aside from being able to get points because you've built it, is that they are now making the building that you wanted to build more expensive, which is totally not something Laura has done to me in the past. So um, you build these buildings, and like I mentioned earlier, you get no points for them effectively until... You make your way back up to those three ziggurat tracks and you start figuring out ways to get your markers moving up those ziggurat tracks. So then when it comes time to score those buildings, they actually become worth points. You don't have to build the buildings first and then go to the ziggurat track. You can go to the ziggurat tracks first and and pre-invest and pre-decide what buildings you're going to focus on. I think leaving it at about that right there is probably for the best. Otherwise, we're just going to end up blowing people's minds. And, and we've already done that with our attempts to review Vital Serta games. Uh, but what I will mention is that there's also areas where you can put down water tiles, and there's areas where you can put down garden tiles. Now, the garden needs to go on top of the water tiles.
1: So you'll have to build yourself a little river first if you do want to play some garden tiles. Yeah,
0: and the point of the garden tiles is that if you own some gardens next to someone else's projectiles when those projectiles get turned into buildings you'll get some benefit because you have a garden next to their building and also if you build your buildings next to gardens your buildings count as being bigger when it comes time to actually score them because the maximum size for a building is three but if you've got all kinds of gardens touching your building then your building could be you know twice as big and you'll get twice as many points that's math. I'm really good at math. That right there, I think, is is really like the internal gears of the game. Laying out these projectiles in order to build buildings, in order to score points based on how much you've invested in the three different colors of buildings. We mentioned the seaport earlier. The seaport is an area you can go to uh, when, when the stars line up. There's ways you can start putting your claim markers on those. What did we call them? Uh, the boats uh, the the the, sales. the stoops the sales there we go you can start putting your claim markers when the, when you do certain things jump through certain hoops you can put claim markers down on those sales which give you cool special abilities like uh hey every time you move a marker up uh every third space on an investment track you'll get some points or hey every time you build a building you'll get two extra points just right off the bat things like that i'm not going to list all of them And then there's also this weird little tic-tac-toe kind of thing going on where if you claim three of those what do we call the mass flags poop decks yes if you claim all three of those in a row or three of them in a column you'll get some bonuses 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 sprinkled all over the place the main way you're going to score is the the value of your buildings as indicated on these tracks and then also Laura mentioned way back, 45 minutes ago when this review started, the ziggurat area had another spot where some randomly laid out tiles will be. And you can also invest a little bit in those tiles, which will give you some scoring conditions at the end of the game. Like score some extra points for every one of those uh, sales, that's what they're called, that you've claimed. Or score some extra points for any of the buildings that you've built or that kind of thing. And those change from game to game too. There's a whole lot of variability here, which is why it sounds like we're being very vague uh, because this is not a dissertation on the entire rule book of this game.
1: Two thoughts I'd like to add. Okay. Number one is just the the variability. So there are the, what do we call them again? Banners? Uh, oh. Mascots? Uh,
0: uh, 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 jet engines?
1: Those things. Yeah. In the seaport area. Yeah, right. That are are different every time yes there are bonus action tiles that get rotated around all the different barges yeah each
0: of the zones has their their actions that are specific to them and will never change but then there's a a spot in each of these zones for some for some random randomized actions to, to happen there too
1: Right. Plus, you've got your secret objectives and your public objectives and whatever, whatever's going on at the ziggurat over here. Yeah. There's just a lot of variation from game to game. And the number two thing I think we should definitely talk about because we do have strong feelings about it, oh. Paul. Oh, you know I... where I'm going with this.
0: Uh, sure. But just in case our dear listener doesn't, why don't you go ahead and tell them?
1: <laughs> <laughs> One of the other things you can do if you really feel like the game is getting stale is you can... Shuffle up the colors of the barges at each of the stations.
0: Oh man, we did that once, and it blew our mind. And we Oof. we quickly closed that book and put it right back on the shelf. And we were like, Nah, we are not ready for this. Uh huh.
1: Yeah, it really just made it it too tricky. And I don't know if it's just because we played it so many times in yeah. such rapid succession that it just like we couldn't think <laughs> that way. Yeah. Or if really the game is potentially as best as originally printed. <laughs> yeah,
0: it, it's it's nice that they included that. I don't know if that actually makes it a better game or not. Fortunately, you can just put that in a little baggie and never break it out and be just fine with what we've got here. I think that's a, a pretty good solid overview. If I missed anything, I uh, that's about it. That's about it. Yeah, Tabanusi, that's kind of the uh, the brief overview of how it goes. Whew. Yeah, Well, Whew. hang on, hang on a second. I just needed to... Take a long drink and definitely not into the mic. Hold on one second. Okay, now we're ready. What do we think?
1: I think we should start with how the scoring works and how we went so so <laughs> very wrong the first time we played. Yeah, okay, because it's it's, it's a, a cautionary
0: tale. It's if you're an idiot, it's a cautionary tale, and I'll tell you, we've got at least one of those over here. All right. <laughs>
1: so, the way that should
0: the, we cue up some like some fireplace and like uh, some loot music in the background?
1: <laughs> All right, dear listener, let me tell you a tale. Another round. As you may have gathered from putting together the pieces of our fragmented, light overview of the rules. There are these dice that get removed slowly over the course of the game as you go from barge to barge and zone to zone. Always, every time, picking up a, a, a die before you move along to the next area. The dice on the barges do deplete. And as soon as one of the zones has the last die picked up from it that zone gets scored at the end of that player's turn big air
0: raid sirens go off and you know lights start flashing big dance party scoring time it's all in the rule book actually
1: you have to have all this so (laughs) then long
0: rule book got sheet music in there it's After crazy. you
1: score the zone, and the the chocolate butter and vanilla ones are pretty straightforward. To score the zone, you just score the buildings that are yep. completed in that
0: zone. Oh, there's a there's a couple of brown buildings here and a yellow building in there. Who? Oh, that that's my brown building, so that scores me these points, and that's your yellow building, so that scores you those points. Yep. That was easy.
1: Pretty straightforward. Yeah. The port scores based on the number of your claim markers you have that are also in a column where you've put a building yeah, eh. Eh. you can put buildings around the edge of the port there. It gets you some bonuses. Yeah. There's always bonuses to bonuses. Uh, then in the cigarette district, if that district scores, you get points based on the buildings that you commit to these goals that will change every time you play the game.
0: Can I ask a question? Is there a city that actually has a cigarette district? Cause that's, that'd be pretty cool. Cause that's what it sounded like. You said was the cigarette district.
1: I mean, it could be the cigarette district.
0: <laughs> I'll be right back.
1: <laughs> when the zone gets scored. Yeah. The player who triggers the scoring gets an extra butter, butter or gold. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs>
0: there's two types of butter apparently in this game. No, there's gold bars. There's gold bars. They look like butter too. Everything's butter. Yeah. Oh, man. I don't know why we were Delicious. so on butter when we
1: played it, but <laughs> you get that resource. Yeah. And then all of the dice from that zone are re-rolled. Yep. And if anyone else happens to have some of those resources left, when it's time to re-roll them, they have to sacrifice them up to the reroll, but they do get a little perk. Uh, my delicious
0: chocolate, out. where did it go? Well, at least my brown buildings are worth more now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: So when Paul and I first played, to bring it all back to the massive mistake that led to our <laughs> almost <laughs> unenjoyment of this game... <laughs> Rather than just re-rolling the dice in the zone that was scored, we, we turned in and re-rolled all of the dice. Uh,
0: we just we were like, you know what? I guess it clearly says here in the rules that we I've only looked at once that we just roll all the dice again and effectively start the whole game over again. Right. So what this means, dear listener, <laughs> oh, okay. is
1: that every time we got to a scoring point... Uh. We reset the game to its initial state. Pretty much
0: to its initial state. Yeah.
1: Such that we actually got to (laughs) the (laughs) point where we had nothing we could do. We We ran out of play markers. Yeah. There were literally no options left for us, and we thought this game is terrible. Yeah. The way that it actually plays, and there's five scoring rounds. Yeah. uh, The way it actually plays is that you only re-roll the one that got scored. Yeah. And so the idea is that in most games, maybe not all, but in most games – each zone will get scored once Yeah, and before then at the end the, of the game. And then and at the end of the
0: game, scored. everything will get scored one more time.
1: So we hated it. It took <laughs> we a were, long time. We were like,
0: man, I've never played a two-player game that took four hours unless it was called the War of the Ring. What is wrong with this? And then, you know, turns out when you read the rule book and you actually <laughs> pay attention, you realize you've been playing it wrong.
1: So then we played it again. Yeah. And Paul creamed me. Oh, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that was that was satisfactory.
1: And then we played it again and I creamed you.
0: Uh, less so. A <laughs> minus minus. Negative feedback.
1: And then we played it with some of our friends. Yeah. And I think...
0: It was a battle for second place there because Mark just did the communal creaming.
1: Yeah. Side note. When Paul said that the game centers around building Ur, as you might think in a game called (laughs) Tabanusi Builders of Ur. Yeah. Mark, our friend, uh, who... Man, he's a
0: big brain sometimes.
1: He he does have a big brain. Sometimes it's a little too big for his own good, but... He really likes to take what
0: seems to be the logical <laughs>
1: way to win a game and, then just and
0: throw it out, ball it up, and toss he's it. Like,
1: nope, I'm not gonna be doing that building thing. <laughs> I'm gonna go for these ziggurat points all the way, yeah, and he did. Tabanusi
0: he, investors of Ur, <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> majorly won though. Yeah. So I think the takeaway though is that you can strike your own path.
0: Yeah, you don't have to build in Tabanusi builders of Ur. You could there's there's other ways to win the game, definitely. Uh, and that, I think, is what endears this game to me. We very rarely have a game that we play and then immediately want to play it again for reasons other than, well, you know, we want to know what we're talking about for the podcast, which <laughs> we don't we don't even always make it that far. But we played this game again and again and again because we actually like we actually like it. We actually enjoyed it. We put it away so that we could have some people over to play a different game. And then when they left, we were like, what do you want to do? You want Tabanusi? You want Tabanusi? Yeah, so we played Tabanusi again. It's great. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, I think it reminds me of games that came out in like the early 2010s or the late aughts. Kind of a, I don't want to call it the golden, who, what's a golden age of gaming? I have no idea. Maybe that's that's for a future show. But that was, there was definitely something special about that time when you weren't getting 4,800 games a year being released, when games that came out were a bigger deal and, and really just landed with a, with a much more impactful sound on your table. This, I think, feels like that. And it looks like it, too. It looks a little bit more function over form here. Um, they cram a lot of information onto this big old board. And uh, I think Board and Dice knocked it out of the park with this one.
1: Yep really really enjoy it looking forward to playing it again actually yeah which is great
0: i think it it plays very well at at all player counts that we've tried which is two we've tried it at two players and then we tried it at four (laughs) players the the two player feels a little zero summy uh you know i do this and and uh i hurt either hurt you or help myself whereas with more players there's more of an opportunity to piggyback on what other people are doing
1: and also it's not really a direct confrontation kind of hurt it's more like a yeah like Paul said in the beginning, oh, you want to build a little uh, chocolate building over there, huh? Yeah. Well, what if what if I just <laughs> tack on to that plan that you're working on there? And oh, by the way, if you build it, it's not going to be a little more expensive and you're going to have to give me a bonus when you do build it. Yeah. It's that kind of a thing. We but Just similar-
0: leech off of each other.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: I like it. I really enjoy it. It's uh, and it's pretty reasonably priced too. I mean you would these days you would expect a game like this to be like 80 or $90 maybe just because of how heavy the box is and how much stuff there is but no I got it for a a pretty reasonable price. It's in the depending on where you find it. It's in like the, the 50 or less category which for a big heavy chunky board game these days is a pretty good price.
1: And you haven't played anything like it.
0: No, and, and that's isn't that the point of what we have in our collection of keeping games that, that just are definitely unique and are unlike anything else you'll find in the collection. Mm-hmm. Tabanusi, Builders of Ur, or if you're Mark, Investors of Ur, it's an excellent game. And if what we've talked about for the last three and a half hours intrigues you at all, I would highly recommend picking it up.
1: We're keeping it. Yeah. My liege. Yes? Good news! Oh! We have finished the five great
0: ziggurats. All five of them?
1: They are all complete. That was fast! We are now ready to call this a city. But there's just one thing we need.
0: Uh, more ziggurats. Because I I know a guy. (laughs) He'll get us the ziggurats.
1: (laughs) Sir, I think we're zigguratted out.
0: Oh. Okay, it's debatable.
1: Uh, we were thinking more like a name for our city.
0: Oh, it could be something like...
1: We could call it what?
0: We could call it something... Uh... Um... Er... Er, it is! Wait a minute. Didn't we say that we weren't going to make this joke? Don't we have higher standards in this? I really remember saying something like this. Alright, kill it. This bit's done. We're No, we're not putting this in the show. Babylonia by noted game developer, mathematician, scientist, superhero, and half man, half horse, hair doctor.
1: Hair doctor, Rhino-Kinitia. Yeah,
0: he's a mythical creature. Some people say that he doesn't actually exist. Some people think that perhaps he left to go to his home planet 20 years ago and is now instead... Represented by a staff of tiny humans who live inside of an amazingly convincing uh, shell. <laughs> Working him like a puppet. So, <laughs> Man, we have so many of his games. Babylonia.
1: Yep. From Ludo Nova Games. Yeah. Let's see. Where to start with this one? So we have those five ziggurats.
0: We have the five ziggurats.
1: And at the beginning of the game, you've got this... Big ol' hex board.
0: You got these two rivers. Maybe you've heard of them. Uh, you've got... Uh, lefty righty? Yeah, lefty... <laughs> Tigris. Tigris and Euphrates. That's the one. Tigris? Tigris. I don't know. That one. The T-River. And the Euphrates. The U-River. The It uh, starts with an E. I'm joking. Oh, me-River. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so... It's a map. Yeah. And it's covered in hexes. Mm. And when you set up the game, you put down these five ziggurats. Yep. And you randomly lay out in, there's a bunch of uh, marked other hexes where you randomly lay
0: out city tiles. City tiles. Crop tiles. And reptiles. Not that last one. No.
1: So that's what you're looking at when you start.
0: That's the board. Just, it's real easy to set up. Mix a, mix a, mix a. Put everything out on the board. Done. What does every player get?
1: A lovely
0: little bag full of wooden
1: tiles, discs, yeah.
0: clan tokens.
1: So the clans on these tokens are pots. Mm-hmm. Pot clans. Don't get excited. These are actual I think,
0: I think I think I think that is your clan and your clan is made up of pots, pots and beardy men.
1: Busts and what's the other one? Stars. Stars, explosions. Sure. Okay. So we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. So I assume it probably means like, like arts yeah. and people and, and explosions. Religion.
0: Sure. Yeah. At any rate. Farmers.
1: There's those three symbols. And then you also have farmers. So you've yeah. got four different symbols on your discs. Yeah. In your bag. And you get a little Scrabble tile holder type of thing. Yep. Don't try to pick it up
0: though. <laughs> don't move it around. We put little rubber feet on it. You know, they don't really work the best, but it's a nice thought. So yeah, that's what you get. And the gameplay is, is really pretty simple. You've got your your tokens that you can group into two categories, farmers and everything else. On your turn, you'll have five tokens in front of you on your little stand, and you have a choice. You can put down any two tokens, or you can put down nothing but farmers.
1: As many farmers as you have, as you if have. you wish.
0: It uh, could be five. Uh, depending on things, it could be up to seven. We'll cover that later. Um, and, and like I said, you put them anywhere on the board. Why you would want to put them in certain spaces on the board is important. The general
1: idea is that you're trying to accomplish a couple of different things. Number yeah. one is surround cities or cigarettes. Yep. Number two is build a path connecting cities. Yeah. With your tiles, like an unbroken chain of your tiles.
0: They don't have to be the same ones. It just has to be your tiles.
1: Mm-hmm. And as far as points go, when you build adjacent to a ziggurat, you get points based on all of the ziggurats that you are adjacent to at all. Let's say
0: I put my token right next to my first ziggurat of the game, Mm -hmm. One, one one point. I go to a different ziggurat and I put down another tile next to it.
1: That's two points.
0: Because I already have a tile next to that one ziggurat from earlier and then this one that I'm putting down now. Yep. Future turn, put down next to a third ziggurat, that's three points.
1: There's a lot of points to be had in cigarettes. Yeah. So there's also surrounding cities. Surrounding city tiles mean that that tile will be scored. Yep. And also the tile itself will be collected by the person who has the most of their own tokens around it. Yeah. How do you score a city tile, Paul?
0: So you look at the symbols on the tile. Maybe there's a beardy man and maybe there's an explosion. And anyone who has a token with one of those symbols on it, either touching the city or connected to that city by a route of their own tiles. It doesn't have to be right next to the city. It could be five or six tiles away, but as long as you can draw a line of your own tokens all the way to that, then then you'll get points for that one that's even way far away. Oh, we just scoring the city. Okay, well, I've got an explosion next to it and I've got a beardy man next to it and I can follow a bunch of my tokens five or six away to another beardy man over there And that's another two points. So you get two points for each of those. If you can build that big route that branches off and has big blobs of all these different symbols on it, you're in good shape anytime a city is scored that's connected to your big blobs.
1: And then also the crop tiles are great to drop your farmers in. Yeah, Um, Barring some special circumstances... The only things that can go in those spots are your farmers. Yeah. And they're just points.
0: Yeah. They're they're either straight up points. It'll just say on the tile, seven points, ding, ding. Or it will be something variable. Like you will collect as many points as everyone in the game has collected city tiles so far. That's really useful at the end of the game. Oh, wow. So a total of like nine city tiles have been collected, have been have been cashed in and scored over the course of the game. Time to start getting those crop tiles that rewards you for how many city tiles everyone in the game has already captured. But that's it, man. This is a simple game. You, you choose option A or B when it comes to putting down tiles. Then if you've uh, triggered any kind of scoring, you do some scoring and then you refill back up to five and that's it. Final thing to talk about, what happens when you surround ziggurats? The bonus, Bonus cards, yeah, you get those bonuses. They lay out some bonuses up at the top, and they're anything from just a straight up 10 points right now to a one-time cash-in to get an extra turn, or uh, things that let you bend the rules a little bit, like uh, in addition to playing as many farmers as you want, you can cap it off by putting down one non-farmer on the board.
1: Or the combination that I got uh, in the last game we just played, where the first one I got let me extend my hand size from five to seven yep. tokens, which of course means more likely that I will have <laughs> uh, several farmers to All play kinds as an of, yeah. option. It means you're more likely to end the game early, too. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the other one that I had, which I thought was a great little synergy, was a bonus that allowed me to play potentially three different tokens. Yeah. Provided that they were all different symbols, so yeah. one explosion, one beardy man, and one
0: pot. pot. Yeah, um, which is which is great. Being able to play more stuff on a turn is always good because you're more efficient. You can you can move in and, and surround things easier. Uh, that's great. But that's it. This is pretty straightforward tile laying game by Herod Doctor Half Centaur You you look at this big box and you say Babylonia oh, man, this this is going to be complex. This is going to be, man, I went on a scale of, of like one to Tabanusi. How is this going to be? Uh, and it turns out it, it's not really. It's kind of on the lower end of the scale. Yeah, it's lighter fare. Lighter fare. So we've talked a little bit about how it plays. Um, well, this is the part where we talk about how it makes us feel. How do we feel?
1: Well, I did just
0: win. <laughs> okay. So, so that felt good. Giant, yeah, giant grain of salt. But, you know, when you win by that much... Oh, yeah. It was, it's, uh, <laughs> it was a clubbing. I got <laughs> second place. I felt good getting second place. So one of the things that
1: we have learned, or at least I learned, yeah. I don't know what you were doing. Uh, I don't know.
0: Drink, <laughs> drinking.
1: But playing this game now several times is that it does seem that there is a way that her Doctor, Sen- Half-Centaur, yeah. <laughs> uh, Reiner Kanizia uh, wants the game to be played because it seems that you have to start by getting the points from the ziggurats. Yeah. The, because there's just so many points it's to It's so had there. easy
0: to get those points that there's no reason not to unless you're maybe there's some super hyper strategy that only people who've played 50 times really understand.
1: Not to mention the bonuses that you get are things that will apply for the rest of your game.
0: Yeah. So it becomes a gold rush.
1: Mm hmm. And then from there, you know, there's some interesting things going on as far as this blob path thing you were talking about where yeah. you can you know, pepper the board with just a stream of your tokens from one side to the other, but just make sure that all of the symbols are represented somewhere along that stream so that any city that gets scored along the way is going to get points for your symbols that touch that path somewhere.
0: Yeah, there's an aspect, almost an aspect of multiplayer go here where you're like, okay, if I put my pieces here well then I'm just gonna get blocked so I shouldn't go there because that's a waste so maybe I'll go over here but then they'll go there and then I can block them and and it becomes kind of this this arms race of racing to claim your territory uh, before someone else is able to kind of sneak in and get around and, and, and disrupt your blobs nobody likes having their blobs disrupted uh, from my end I don't necessarily mind a game that is that is kind of uh, prescriptive I don't necessarily mind that, but over the course of the game you kinda just start to feel like, well, that's where all the points are, so that's where I need to go. And and there's just not enough interesting decisions there, I think, to really hold my attention for a long, long time. So what do we think about it right now and right here as it is on the table before us?
1: Eh. Yeah, it's all
0: right. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a strongly okay game, I think was what we called it. I could see myself playing this at a lunch break with a couple of other gaming nerds at the place I work, if the place I work had enough people to have gaming nerds at it, and we actually went into an office. It's quick. If you really know what you're doing, you could play through it in a half hour. Real easy. Uh, And I think there's a lot of room for games like that, and a lot of room for games that lead you into bigger games. But that's about it. It is a strongly okay game. I've talked a lot. What do you have to say?
1: I also think that given the fact that we just dragged up a new shelf from the basement <laughs> and put a new shelf on the wall, yeah, to make room for games and we have more coming, yeah. I think we need to be a little harsher on this one. I yep. think maybe we need to let this one go.
0: Yeah, man, if this if we yeah, if we didn't have the predicament that we have now, two things. One, our dear listener would be listening to something else. Um, Two, we would probably keep this, but I just don't know if we have enough room on our shelf for games that are just okay, even strongly okay games. Uh, Babylonia, top 10, at least in their top 10 cradles of civilization. But (laughs) but the game itself, eh, that's all right. My liege Yes. We have found an appropriate building site for this grand city that you have in mind. Splendid, splendid. Proceed. Pro- there is a matter of a few things. We need people to build it. We need mm. materials, mm-hmm. and then there's paperwork. Paperwork mm. and the, the very first thing, see right here, it says we need a name. We can't we can't even break ground without a name. I was thinking something like Sadville. Um, okay. What else, what else you got in mind, my liege?
1: Well, let's see. How about, um, Misery Shire?
0: Hmm. How about, how about a top three? How about a good old top three? There, my liege. Depressionum? <laughs> it's okay. We can go, we can Ur- go far. That's it. That's it. That's it. It's... Ah, see? We did it again. We said we weren't going to make that joke. And then we did make that joke and we got buzzed and we, we just can't not make the joke. But it's so fun. What is wrong with us? I don't know. But I think it's best we just move on lest we make that joke another time and really get in trouble. With the podcast police yet again.
1: I think this might be all the games that we have about... Ooh building a town from the ground up so hopefully we can safely avoid
0: i hope so i really do <laughs> what we have here is founders of gloomhaven by isaac childress you may know the name gloomhaven from such mega smash hits as gloomhaven <laughs> that's that's it that's <laughs> it that's where you've that's where you've heard it uh and the forthcoming frost haven which is like gloomhaven But but frostier? But in Minnesota. Uh, Founders of Gloomhaven, I was not around at the time uh, Gloomhaven was initially storming the nation, uh, and I was not around for when this game came to Kickstarter. But as I understand it, it's the game that people don't really like to talk about, because it's not Gloomhaven. It is set in Gloomhaven, but it is not Gloomhaven, but we are not going to hold that against it. We will evaluate it on its own merits. Yes, although we do love Gloomhaven, and that is the reason we bought this game. But still, <laughs> it's yeah, it is the reason that at least we paid attention to it. That's true. So, uh, founders of Gloomhaven, let's get stuck in, as those as those Brits like to say.
1: So, let's talk about our first impressions. Yeah,
0: what do you get when you open the box? Lay it out on the table. Oh, so many things. Yeah,
1: you've got your your player colors are really nice color choices rich color choices not just the simple blue yellow red green oh no friends you want magenta (laughs) you got magenta
0: nine colors you got two shades of blue i think Uh, six shades of brown
1: it's luscious and each one corresponds to a race that has its own special ability they also happen to be the races in the game of gloomhaven so that's a nice little correlation there yep uh, you also have a board that has two sides. One side is symmetrical and one side is asymmetrical. Yeah.
0: The uh, the asymmetric side is supposed to be the footprint of Gloomhaven itself.
1: And you have all of these Tetramino building tiles. Yeah. Several of them are just simply one square by one square. But you also have much bigger pieces that come in all different lengths and sizes. Two squares, three squares, four squares, different configurations. Yeah. Very satisfying for the Tetris mind. Yeah. You've got the same little currency ones that you might be familiar with if you've played Gloomhaven.
0: Yeah. And threes, which is an interesting denomination. I'm sure there's a good reason for it. My uh, my $3 bill actually does count for something here in this game. $3 coin. I don't know. What are they called in this game? Are they called gloom bucks? I'm sure it's out there somewhere. It's definitely somewhere. Yeah. Uh, We got a bunch of cards that represent people you can hire. And we got a bunch of other cards that represent buildings you can build uh, on top of the other buildings that we talked about earlier that you can build. You build all kinds of buildings in this game, and they all serve different purposes. This is a game about logistics, I think. It's a game about planning, it's a game about parasitic relationships. It's a game about getting in on the ground floor and and making sure that other people need to pay their dues to you in order to accomplish what they want to do.
1: And then it's a little bit of a ship and deliver game, too,
0: because you're building routes. Yep. Routes. (laughs) Those. Why why do we say routes and routes? It's Route 66, but like my networking equipment it's not powered by a router. That's weird. (laughs) Uh, so that's your first impressions of the of the board, of the game, of everything about it, the board game. Let's uh do just a little bit of a, a dive into how the game actually plays. At the start of the game, you've got this bare map here of of on our side. I always like playing with the Gloomhaven side. I'm not here for the symmetry. Oh yeah. The Gloomhaven side's the, the most the most fun, the most thematic. You got your bear map here. I would say beautiful, pristine lands, but nope, this is Gloomhaven we're talking about. It's rocky. It's rocky and gross and and kind of borderline swampy. Players are going to put their little tiny tier one buildings in designated spots on the map. In a two-player game, they're pretty far apart, but as you add more players, they can't help but get kind of closer and closer together. Players are going to uh, have picked uh, some uh, one of the nine races, and they're going to start with a little bit of money, and they're going to start with uh, access to some resources. There's a bunch of different resources in the game. I'm not going to list all of them, but there's, there's level one, level two, and level three resources. And then, finally, all of those resources ultimately lead up to to being contributed to the prestige buildings, which is really what we're working towards here.
1: Yes, and resources are also buildings themselves.
0: Yeah, they're one and the same. You don't really... It's not like you pick up two bricks in this game. You just... Happen to own the building that produces the bricks, and mm-hmm. they just assume that your building connects to the elemental plane of bricks and is just <laughs> able to bring in infinite bricks. That's how it works. Yeah. It's Gloomhaven. <laughs> Don't question it. Uh, so now you've you've all set up your your initial stands, your your level one tiny buildings that produce whatever resources your, your race. Yeah, that your race makes. contributes to. Yeah. I'm looking at the Orchid race, and they specialize in gems. Or humans specialize in, in humans, in people. That's an actual resource.
1: Human resources? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Aha! I'm Cap- on to something. Capitalism <laughs> comes to Gloomhaven. So you have your, your tier one buildings with your resources. And now it's up to you to decide what you want to do. And, and what you can do is dictated through this hand of action cards that you have. If anyone here has played any games like Race for the Galaxy or Puerto Rico or any of these games where you get to choose an action and then everybody else gets to do kind of a weaker version of that action, kind of this lead-follow mechanic.
1: Twilight Imperium has a little bit of that. It does, yeah.
0: It does for eight hours. It does.
1: (laughs) A lot of a little bit of that.
0: Yep. Uh, So, like, let's say on my turn I will choose to recruit. Off to the side of the board is this kind of recruit marketplace where four recruits are waiting, waiting to be hired, recruited. They have different uh, abilities. Uh, most of them are better versions of, of uh, the cards that you already have. Yeah, the cards that are, that are in your hand. Uh, so you can recruit them. If you have the money to hire them and you have access to the resources that they require, then you can pay that money to the bank and recruit that person right into your hand directly into your hand this isn't like dominion or anything like that or any other deck builder where it goes into your deck first you can use them on your next turn you can put them right to work (laughs) before they've even had a a chance to put on their boots Um, now the thing about the recruit action is that when you recruit someone then you'll get a little bonus influence and influence uh, along with money uh, is is a currency in the game that you can spend on votes and we'll get to votes in a bit but Uh, if you lead with the recruit action, uh, you can recruit someone and you get a little bit of influence and then everyone else has a chance to recruit, but because they're following, they won't get that bonus influence. Yep. Uh, that's, that's recruiting. Uh, we have two other cards here. One is called trade and the other is called upgrade. Now they are kind of misleading names. Trade is how you set up your level one building, your tier one resource building.
1: The one that your race gets, uh, and it's the little one by one square.
0: Yep, and it costs different amounts of money depending on the terrain that you put it on. Uh, But not only can you build your own uh, level one building. But you can also
1: pay your opponent or any of the other players for access to their level one buildings
0: and that's really important we'll cover that in a bit it's really important to be able to have access to all the resources in the game even if it means you have to pay your opponent's uh, access rights Uh, and then you also have the opportunity if you have fewer than four players to build a a building belonging to the neutral player as well Um, that's something you can do with this trade card and then everyone else gets a chance to kind of do that version of the action but not as good uh, and the same thing goes with this upgrade action, which allows you to construct a a level two or level three resource building. Uh, and you also get to build a road uh, and other players don't get to do that if they follow. And we've we've rushed through those because don't worry, dear listener, we'll come back to that. But I want to get through the rest of the cards in your hand before we circle back to really the, the heart of the game, which is the building and, and management of resources and yes. these buildings. Uh, you also have a card called Construct. And that lets you build uh, gates and bridges to cross the the walls.
1: Oh, because there's a giant (laughs) river on one
0: side of the map and there's a giant wall on the other side of the map. Yeah, and that's what separates the three sections of the city. So if you've set up resources over here on the right section and you want to get them to the middle section, you either have to build a whole network in that middle section or you can just pay to put down a gate between the wall that separates the two. And that's kind of like a road that only you have access to, which will become important in a little bit. In a two-player game, there's this other card called Income, which does exactly what it sounds like. If you play this, then you get to collect income, which is based on how many of your resource buildings you own out there on the map. The, the more different resources you own, uh, the more money you'll make when the income phase comes along. So now that we've burned through all of that, I wanna talk about this last card here called voting, call to vote. And then we can get back to really talking about what makes this game tick. This voting is the way that uh, these top level buildings, the top of the top, the prestige buildings, that's how it gets decided which ones of those are gonna go on the map. You heard me mention earlier, uh, when you recruit someone, you can get influence. You get influence by recruiting people is the main way. Uh, but there's other ways you can get it as well. Once you've played enough cards out of your hand, uh, you then have the ability to call a vote, and when you call that vote, you'll get uh, some bonus income or a couple other types of bonuses based on how many cards are left in your hand, and then everybody else will get to collect income, and then you will get to take all of your cards, put them back in your hand, and then You get to call a vote, and that's where you spend the influence that I've been telling you about.
1: To decide which of the prestige buildings will be the next one on the board. Will it be the traveling troubadour? Yeah. Or will it be the archer's garrison or the burnt onion
0: or (laughs) golems and gizmos? If anyone knows anything about Gloomhaven, buried in that bag of prestige buildings is also the Sleeping Lion. The Sleeping
1: Lion. lion. Yeah, we yeah. like
0: the Sleeping Lion. Uh, but, but that's how the, the prestige buildings come out. There's always three up for vote, and when the vote actually happens, one of them will get picked, the other two will get discarded, and then a whole uh, suite of three of them will get put out again. And those prestige buildings are important because once six of them get actually built, not just voted on, but actually built, once six of them get built, I'm saying that a lot. Built, 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 built. That's a weird word, isn't it, built? Once six of them get built, then the game is over and you do a little bit more scoring, I think, and, and that's it, whoever has the most points wins.
1: So how do you build a prestige building?
0: Oh, this is, we're... <laughs> let's do it, let's dive right on into the Come on <laughs> into, into the, the sleeping bin. pull up a bench, and here we go. Uh, I've mentioned that there's tier one resources, and uh, no matter how many players you're playing with, those all of those resources are available, whether it's because players own them or because the neutral player owns them. But eventually, all of those uh, resource buildings will make their way onto the map in one section or another. At that point, if you, the player, decides you want to build a level two building, you need to have access to or own the buildings that provide the resources that make that building.
1: Most of the level two buildings <laughs> require two resources to make them and yeah. all of the level three ones do
0: that's true so i'm, I'm looking at their little flow chart here and i can see that if uh the level one resource of knowledge and the level one resource of metal are available in a section on the board here uh, you can then build the gear building it's this gear it's probably industry or something like that and what that means is Uh, if you can connect this new gear building to the required level one resources like knowledge and metal through a series of roads, then you can now build that gear building. But the thing is, you don't get points for building the building. The people who supplied the resources to let you build that building get the points. So maybe the person who owns the knowledge building will get one point, and the person who owns the metal building will get one point. It doesn't matter that you had access to them. The fact that you have access to them is what allows you to use those resources to begin with, but it really comes down to who owns that stuff. So, dear listener, hopefully you can imagine this network of level one resources and all the players who own those buildings then kind of jockeying for position to then get themselves in position to earn points as the level two buildings get built. And then the people who own the level two buildings get to earn themselves points for the level three buildings that get built and so on all the way up into the prestige buildings. And now here's the real kicker. If you build say a level three building and one of the requirements of the level three building is a level two building, then the owner of the level two building will get those points, but then they have to pay the level one buildings that supply them with those required resources. Have your eyes gone cross yet? (laughs) <laughs> Great, because the
1: prestige buildings Oh
0: boy Do that with another level yeah. So the
1: prestige buildings Let's let's use one of the examples that I just gave here Let's do it So the burnt onion,
0: Ooh, for example My favorite kind of onion <laughs> mm. <laughs> It's the ones that I always make Bloomin' <laughs> would
1: be my favorite yeah. but. Yeah uh, So the, the burnt onion Yeah Requires cows <laughs> and Okay hides oh yeah sure and brick
0: okay so uh we build that blooming onion the burnt onion we build that burnt onion (laughs) and uh the person who owns the brick building will get some points Mm -hmm. and the person who owns the hide building will get some points yep but look here the hide building has uh, a requirement of cows and wood that means that the points that the hide building owner gets they're going to have to kick some of those points down to the people who own the cow building and the wood building. And what about the brick? Whoever owns that brick building uh, is going to have to kick some of those points down to the person who owns the rock building and the person who owns the, the people building.
1: Oh, and I didn't even pick one that had a level three resource on it, did I?
0: Yeah, let's blow their minds. Let's do it. Let's
1: see here. The archer's garrison Okay. requires rock. Got it. Uh, hammer holding.
0: Yeah, ham- hammer hand. Mm-hmm and swords and swords so swords requires hides which requires cows and wood and swords also requires metal which is a level one resource so you can see how all of these points trickle down you want to get yourself into position to be the one to supply the stuff to the new buildings that are being built all the way up to the top to the prestige buildings And the cool thing about the prestige buildings is once you the player have contributed anything to the building of the prestige building that enables you to be able to use that prestige buildings special power there's a little bit of a worker placement thing going on here one of the things you can build during the game are houses and each house has a worker attached to it. And once you've built the house, that worker becomes available to you and you can plop that worker right onto a prestige building. uh, As long as you've contributed at least one resource to it. And you also have on your little player, mat here, a uh, race specific special power that you can drop one of your workers onto. Oh boy. That's a lot. We've been saying that a lot this episode, but uh, (laughs) this, this game it's a heck of a game.
1: It is a heck of a game. One of the other things we haven't even talked about is the way that your buildings need to be placed. Like any tile <laughs> placement game, there yeah. are placement rules. Yep. And one of the rules in this game is that you cannot, while you can build anywhere, yeah. you cannot build Any of your buildings touching any of your other buildings, yeah, and that includes diagonally, not just orthogonally. So anywhere in those one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight spaces around your building, yeah, a single, if it's a single square, yeah, uh, cannot touch another of your buildings. Which means you need to rely on roads to convey the necessary resources to build any level two or level three buildings.
0: That's not a problem. Cause roads are just super easy to build, right? No, they're not easy <laughs> they're to build. As easy roads as actually are uh, surprisingly- They're surprisingly hard to come by. Y- yeah. You have to sacrifice something important that you might want to do just to slap a couple of roads down. Mm-hmm. That's where some of these recruits come in handy. Um, one of the recruits uh, lets you throw down a couple of roads after you've before, after you've built a building. That kind of thing. That's why recruits are so great in addition to giving you influence and maybe some victory points too. Mm-hmm. It's all interconnected. But this, this this logistics puzzle of delivering resources where they need to go um, is, is what is at the heart of this game. And I think as we, as we transition right into what do we think about the game and how does the game make us feel, I'll say that, that this logistics puzzle is really what drew me into the game. Uh, I had never seen anything like this. We played it at our friend Mark and Vanessa's house uh, Laura, you weren't there that day uh it was a sad day any day where I play a game without you it's just it's it's like everything tastes like ash
1: the oh world gosh.
0: loses a little bit of its color
1: you really don't need to do that it's, uh, really it's just
0: it's just <laughs> sad
1: you know what does make the world lose a little bit of color yeah is is playing this game with two players <laughs> yeah which Is the only way that I've played it. Yeah. And I definitely think that the robo player aspect. Well, it's not really a robo player. It's simply a player who owns a couple of the resources.
0: Yep. Two neutral players in a two-player game. So there's four resources right there that are not available to either of us unless we are willing to just fork out a bunch of money.
1: Which isn't in and of itself bad because if it was an opponent then you'd also have to fork over the money yeah but it's destabilizing it's a different game because yeah. that's the only thing that player is
0: quote doing
1: they're not building anything yeah
0: you're not having to work against them you're not having to they're you not working against them or they're, they're you're not working together with them like hey I'll build this if you do, if you do this and and whether that is spoken or unspoken, with just two players, it it just it feels a little bit more zero sum. It feels a little bit more like an a, a, a just this obtuse uh, outmaneuvering game which is not really it's not really the way the game was meant to be played. I I feel like this game was meant to be played with four players. Any fewer and you're kind of robbing yourself of the experience. But the problem with playing it with four players is that it just would end up taking so long because you're just constantly grinding the numbers in your head about where is the best place for me to put things down. And you're running all this math all the time, constantly. And and this, the scoring system of this distributing points and trickling down, it's really cool, but it it sucks to have to just be doing in your head all the time.
1: That's one of my least favorite things about this game. Yeah. I like the idea. I definitely like the idea. Yeah, so do But I. the reality of putting a new building down <laughs> and then having to figure out who owns all of the buildings that add up to that building, geez. especially if it's a prestige building where you have to go down, you know, two mm-hmm. or three layers.
0: You're just you, sometimes you're just like, I could build that building, but then I'd have to figure out who gets <laughs> points for it. So I think I'm just going to do something else.
1: And by the same token, it can make it a little bit tricky to figure out which building you want to bid on yeah. to build as well, because you then also have to run through that same backstepping of what yeah. goes into all those parts and where on the board you might want to place that, so that you can be the greater contributor of some of those parts. It's just a little bit crunchy.
0: Yeah, I've uh, I've I've met Isaac Childress at PAX, name dropping a little. No, I'm not name dropping because we really talked for no more than like two or three minutes, but he's, he's clearly a smart guy and based on interviews I've seen with him and limited conversation I've had with him at conventions, he's definitely a passionate guy, especially about all things Gloomhaven, all things Starhaven. And, and this was definitely uh, an attempt to, I think, do something different and I, I think it was just it's weighed down a little bit by just a little too much a little too much calculation and a little too much crunch. I would be really interested in seeing a second edition of Founders of Gloomhaven. Some streamlined rules. There's got to be some better mathy way of doing this trickle down thing without doing it the way that it's currently done.
1: Yeah, agreed. While it is definitely ultimately very visually satisfying yeah. to see the city that you've built, the gloomhaven that you've built. Yeah, It suffers from being too caught up in the calculations. Another thing that's super annoying as the game gets bigger and sprawlier uh, calculation-wise is the card that allows you to build your one-by-one squares or yeah. To, yeah. to pay for access to somebody else's has scaled pricing depending on the type of terrain the building is on.
0: Yep, you got you got f- three types of terrain here. You got four. Your, four. I can't count. You've
1: got sandy beaches. Yep. You've you, got forests. You've got You got rocky spots and you've got clay. Yeah. And I think two of those are the same price as far as building, but there's this there's this grid that you have to reference uh, of if you are taking a build your own action or if you're taking a buy access to somebody else's yep. building action and then you've got to cross reference that with the type of terrain it's on but the problem is <laughs> when you have started building this closely knit network of
0: buildings with kind oh. of kitty cornered little roads that you've pushed together in this, here because- <laughs> smash together stuff mm-hmm. yeah
1: Because you want to have things close by because roads are hard to come by. And therefore, you don't want things to be too far away. You also can't have them touching your own building. (laughs) So it becomes a really tight little like old world city that you're building. But then you have to figure out what type of terrain it's on when it's totally covered with
0: tiles. And they don't really give you any kind of like little toothpicks to like really be able to easily get in there and, and pry up one side of a tile so you can peek under it and see if you should be paying two or three gloom bucks in order to be able to get access to that, to that resource. Yeah. And
1: then you have got to sit here and mess up your
0: whole beautiful town. Yeah. That's that kind of stuff. <sighs> I would love to see figured out Yeah, and, and put into a founders of Gloomhaven second edition founders of Frosthaven. Haven, right? Like that would, that's a, that's a really good opportunity I think to, to try to, release this game in a better way next time around
1: and i think you brought this up actually it would be perfect in a video game format
0: yep as a little app on my ipad where i can see all the routes and how much they're worth when i tap on one of them or something like that that'd be Mm -hmm. great um the final thing is uh the price if anything dear listener about this interests you at all despite our issues with it. You know, there's people out there who, for whom this kind of stuff might not be an issue or whatever. It's $50. I got this game for 25 bucks on Amazon a couple of years ago. uh, When, when I guess they were having a big sale, but now it's back up to $50. I would not pay $50 for this game. I would say nobody should pay $50 for this game. Unfortunately, I, I, I don't think anybody would actually play this and say, yeah, I'm glad I spent $50 on that. Unless they just really, 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 really like the setting, really love the setting, and and don't mind all that that crunchy math, it, but you know, if you ever drops down to twenty five bucks again, it might be worth picking up just to kind of see for yourself, especially if you like the setting. Um, but I think you know we need to make some room. We've got a lot of stuff coming in, and as much as we like uh, the the Haven series, I think I think this one's got to go.
1: Yep, I think. It's a sad one to yeah. to set aside for sure. Yep. But we just don't love it.
0: <laughs> sure. Uh, so uh, I guess we won't be gloom having it around anymore. And uh, <laughs> I was not prepared for that. <laughs> Very good. And uh, that's it.
1: All right, so I'm going to level with you, dear
0: listener. Oh, am I included? Sure. Oh, great. Here, sure. hang on. let me pull up a pull my chair. <laughs> okay, I'm going to turn my hat backwards. There's not a hat. I'm going to pull up. <laughs> they don't know that. Wait, let them Let them imagine that I have a hat. I'm going to turn my chair backwards too. Perfect. Let's wrap.
1: So here it is. I'm oh. going to lay it out. Okay. This was not merely an arbitrarily chosen theme.
0: Oh. No, sir.
1: Here's what happened. Oh. I'm going to level.
0: Tell me what happened.
1: Yeah. What happened was (laughs) Paul put up yet another shelf for games. (laughs) Okay. And says to me. He says. He says. Some more Kickstarters were were shipped this week. We're going to need to make some more
0: room. We're going to need a bigger house.
1: (laughs) And so I said. Well, how about we look at the shelves uh-huh. and pick some games to review that we're a little bit iffy, iffy on yeah, so that we can make peace with parting ways with them. And so we Babylonian <laughs> founders. Yeah, I'm sorry. We, we already <laughs> felt this way about these <laughs> games, did. but we needed to bust them back out and yeah. play them again. And I do think we gave them both a fair shake.
0: I think so, too. Uh, and they just happened to fit in the same theme as Tabanusi, which was a game we had recently played and really liked. Yep. So we said, hey, how about a theme of games where you start with a plot of land and build a city? Done. That's a statement that ends in a question mark. <laughs> yeah. I started it with how about. That's true. <laughs> That's true. a question. You're right. I'm sorry. So we did it. Uh, and and now, dear listener, you have uh, now heard what we had to say about these games. These were tough ones, but yeah. the things we do, the things we do for, for the new Kickstarter games for, that for we've already purchased. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, that's it. We are now uh, going to pack up the car. The last time we traveled, uh, I don't remember if I mentioned this or not. I may have shipped us a box of games to meet ourselves when we got to Reno Uh, We won't be doing that this time because we are renting a car, which means we can fill it to the gills with Vitaliserta Games.
1: (laughs) Perfect. Just what my grandparents love. (laughs)
0: And Pop-Tarts. Vitaliserta Games and Pop-Tarts make it for a great road trip. So uh, until we get back, dear listener, we want to thank you once again
1: for honoring us with with your your ears. ears.
0: I will say... I will give you a little... Cheese (laughs) smack. This is my favorite band.